I'm going to begin with a prayer. Lord God, I confess that I have unclean lips, and I live in the midst of people with unclean lips. And yet I believe that you dwell in us and long to draw us into your love and to make us clean. Amen. So I'm Katie. I'm a priest, and Incarnation has been my home for two years, and I am so grateful to be with you this morning. So I don't know if you would know this from the Collect, but today is Trinity Sunday, a feast of the church that always falls after Pentecost, which actually makes a lot of sense because we need the gift of the Holy Spirit to understand the Trinity. This is a day that the church especially sets aside to affirm our faith in the fact that we worship a God who is actually three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think that if most of us were honest, we would say that the doctrine of the Trinity is confusing, maybe a little bit dry, perhaps irrelevant. Or perhaps you want to believe that the Trinity is an essential Christian belief, but practically you'd agree with St. Augustine, and I love this, who said that anyone who tries to understand the Trinity will lose their mind. (laughs) I love that. And so we're really thankful Really, if we're honest, we're really thankful that we only have to think about the Trinity once a year. (laughs) And because it doesn't really make any difference in our lives anyhow, right? I mean, what difference does it make that we believe in a triune God? So unsurprisingly, because I wear this, I regularly fall into conversations about with people about whether there is a God. And sometimes those conversations will include a statement like this, and I'm sure this sounds familiar to most of you. Well, we all believe in the same God after all. We just worship him differently. But I've found oftentimes when I'm talking with my neighbors or people on the metro, that if you dig very far beneath a statement like that, you actually find a really confusing array of understandings about God. Christians believe that God is relational, that that is part of who he is. But others might hold that God is utterly apart and disconnected from his creation. Or maybe, like a conversation I had just last Sunday with a neighbor, you believe we're all divine beings, part of one divine union, and there's really no separation between us and the rest of creation. Or perhaps people have encountered so much pain and evil that they can no longer believe that there is a good God or that there even is a God. Or perhaps there are many gods, right, with, who are each responsible for upholding various aspects of the creation. But I think that where you end up on the question of God actually leads you to vastly different conclusions about what it means to be a human being, what it means to live a life of meaning and purpose, and in fact, how it is that we lead good lives. I had a particular experience that reinforced this point for me. As some of you know, we lived in Bangkok for four years, and as part of that experience, I regularly led our church's Alpha course, which is essentially an introduction to the basics of the Christian faith. And what was so remarkable about these classes is that they were always filled with people from all over the world, from all different ethnicities, economic backgrounds, cultural and religious backgrounds, 
invariably, even though we talked about a host of different topics, every conversation ended up coming back to the question of God. Because we couldn't agree on much else if we didn't agree on who God was. So inevitably, whether we were talking about prayer or why there was evil in the world, who Jesus was, or what the Bible is, everything came back to the question of who is God. And of course, the church has always recognized the centrality of this question. Our three creeds that we find in our prayer book, the Nicene, the um, Apostles, thank you, and the Athanasian, they all revolve around the question. They're all centered around this question of who do Christians believe God is. Because the Trinity is really the foundation. It's the cockpit. It's the engine for all of Christian belief. It's our belief in a triune God that gives definition and specificity to what we believe about what it means to be human. It helps us explain why there's evil in the world. It defines what we mean by salvation and what sets it apart from other religions' definitions of salvation. It helps us understand and explain what happens to us after we die. The Trinity gives us all of this. And it all begins with one God in Trinity, Trinity in unity. Christians worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we worship those three persons as a divine unity that relate to each other in perfect love. God is love because he is a trinity. He is love because he is three persons, not just one. He's three persons who love each other with generosity and purity of spirit. And far from being a dry and stale belief, God's triune being is meant to lead us into a deeper enjoyment of life with God. And I think that when we understand what's so delightfully different and unique about our understanding of God, I think we'll be unable to resist inviting other people to experience God's love too. So I want to dive into our readings for today to unpack this just a little bit. From 1 John 4, 7, we learn that God is love. The relationship between the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is loving. Everything we know about what love is that's summed up in 1 Corinthians 13, we know from the revelation of the Trinity. And the love and the three persons of the Trinity are revealed to us in Jesus. We know there is a Trinity because Jesus told us there was a Trinity. And he is the divine son of the eternal father. He has always been with the spirit and the father. And consequently, our gospel reading says that the intimacy and the unity between these persons is absolutely so complete and entire that the father dwells in Jesus and Jesus dwells in the father. And the father and the son delight to share their love with and through us, through his Holy Spirit. And the result of this unity within the Trinity is that every single word that Jesus spoke was not his own, but was the fruit of his complete union with his Father. And likewise, we can say that every word we read in the Old Testament is the fruit of Jesus' union with the Father. There is no separation between the Father and the Son. But likewise, we can say that all the works that John recounts in his gospel, the healing of the paralytic, 
the feeding of the 5,000, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, even Jesus' resurrection from the dead, also flow from his complete intimacy with the Father. And so just as a fountain, because it is a fountain, pours out water, so the Father, in order to be the Father, must give out life. And that life is Jesus. The Father sent the Son as our Savior so that we might have life. And there is absolutely no greater expression of the Father's love for us than he sent his Son. And Jesus' love is not constrained, but it's freely given out of his complete love for us. The beloved Son delights to bring all of us back into God's loving embrace. And so if we continue with our fountain metaphor, God then pours his heart and his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Even though Jesus has returned to his Father and is no longer with us physically, he has given us the Holy Spirit as our helper. The Spirit is the one who helps us to testify, help us to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is God. He helps us to abide in the love of the Trinity and to love God with our entire being. He helps us to love our neighbors as ourselves and to perform even greater works of healing and restoration than Jesus did. And as 1 John says, the Trinity's love is complete. It achieves its purpose when we love one another. When we who are his adopted sons and daughters love our neighbors and each other the same abundant and generous, self-giving and patient love that we have received. And so when we go out in mission to our neighbors and we share our experiences of God's great love, we are communicating something very profound about who we believe God is. We're not just loving because we've received God's love, but we're loving because of who God is. And we're inviting people into the joy of knowing that they were created by a God who is absolutely overflowing with love for them since the beginning of time. And the purpose, the sole meaning for their life is to be restored to loving union with God, who is the origin of all goodness and flourishing and perfect happiness. And honestly, what is more joyous than that? What could we possibly more drive more joy from than the thought of knowing that we're helping restore those who are lost to the God who is love? I'm going to conclude with a practical example of how the doctrine of the Trinity transforms our prayers. This is a snippet from one of my favorite writers, um, a spiritual director called Reginald Somerset Ward. He, he died a number of years ago, but he wrote some wonderful works on his experience of giving spiritual direction to those under his care. And this is from his book, To Jerusalem. I'm concluding with a word on prayer because I believe that as our prayers become infused with God's love, as we experience more and more the joy of fellowship with God and with each other, we'll be more and more inspired to participate in God's love for our neighbors. So here's Reginald Somerset Ward. 
Perhaps you have happened to stand at sunset on some deserted stretch of sand and have seen the tide coming in, driven onward by a relentless impulse, till it came to your very feet and seized some chance-flung piece of wood and drew it away with an irresistible force into the vast space of the ocean, till its path was lost in the blinding glory of the sun. There you will have viewed in a picture the process which is going on forever, the infinite stream of divine love eternally pulsing through the persons of the Trinity, out from God, and drawing all the world back to God. It is in this tide of love that I see both the origin and the cause of prayer. It is because we are caught up in divine love that we pray at all. And it is the measure in which we surrender to God's love that we pray well. The first and essential step of prayer is to unite yourself with a stream of love and desire which is flowing to God and into the world. And for this reason, the preparation for prayer is the most important step. But it's often the most neglected step in our prayers. Because if you think about it, you will realize that to unite yourself with the essence of all prayer, with the ceaseless tide of divine love that is always swirling around us, is far more important than settling the details of your petitions. It's not only far more important, but in reality, it settles the details. There is an amazing difference which can be realized in practice between starting out to make petitions to God and making those same petitions after you've endeavored to unite yourself with the divine desire for the world. We find that such an endeavor changes the whole character of what we ask. And much of what we thought was important in our petitions, our intercessions, actually drops away. And we find ourselves seeking higher and better things than we ever thought possible. It seems well, therefore, that we should learn to rely more on the energy of God's desire for his world and less on our own feeble desires. Lord God, I pray you would transform us into your image. Infuse us with your love. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to see you in all places and to recognize your love for all people that we might draw others into your triune love for each other. Amen. <laughs>